0: Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. You know, it's awesome being in the house of God with Christian brothers and sisters who love the Lord. Even those who don't love the Lord are here, we welcome you also. It's just a blessing to be with people. And as we look at the scripture this morning, let's see if they get that up there. It's power, there it goes. You know, the world is full of billions of people that need Jesus. The world is full of billions of people that need ministry. The world is full of people that need someone to care. The world is full of people that need somebody to listen to them. And one of our biggest problems we have in ministering to those billions and billions of people is pride. And Christ ministered to his disciples. He taught his disciples over three years trying to get them to get beyond their pride and to get beyond themselves and get the image that he had and somehow it wasn't quite getting there. Pastor Greg read this morning the passage from John 13, 1 through 17. And in this was the Passover. And the Passover was, uh, and I was going to talk about the Passover in just a little bit. But the Passover, this particular Passover was Christ's farewell party. Now, can you imagine, let's say you've worked you've, you've worked all your life, your, your retirement age, and if you're in high school, you haven't got there yet. But it's your retirement party, And you're retiring, but no one knows you're leaving. And you're having a retirement party, and you're the only one that knows you're going. Everybody else thinks you're going to come back to work on Monday. And Christ is having a farewell party. He's having his goodwill, goodbye. He's departing on him, everything in his heart, and they don't have a clue. But think also, now that's the farewell party if you're a retiree. But let's say you're in high school. And you're going to this big event, and you don't realize it. It's your graduation. And you are now going to graduate from high school, but you, don't, you think you're coming back next year for another year, and a year after that, you don't realize you're graduating. This farewell party, this Passover Seder that Jesus was having with his disciples, not only was it his farewell party where he has been telling them he's going to be leaving, they don't get it. But also, it is their graduation. They are going to go from being disciples to apostles, and they do not have a clue. So it's really interesting that um, about this. Now I'm going to talk about the the Passover. I mean, okay, well I'm going to jump ahead. There it goes the. by this, everyone will, I'm, somehow, oh yeah, I know what I did. I got my slides ahead of my thoughts. I got a spoiler, don't tell Pastor Greg, but I snuck into a sermon from two weeks from now. (laughs) (laughs) And in there is this part of the same chapter we're going through right now, but this verse really sums up a lot of what we're going to be talking about today because it is a long passage. We're just talking about one portion of the evening. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How do we know that we are, how do people know that we're his disciples? Because we preach it? Because we wear the, the cross medallion on our necklace? Or because we to show the love of Christ? So that's just a spoiler alert for a couple weeks from now. And. And going through this passage, I've highlighted a section so we know which part we're talking about. This is the Passover. And jumping ahead a little bit, and explaining explain the Passover. The Passover was a celebration that went back um, many, many, many years. It started in year 1451 B.C. We go back to Exodus 12, 14, and it's interesting that Christ, entered, I mean not Christ, God the Father told Moses to honor the Passover before he even had them put the blood on the doorpost for the lamb that was to be slaughtered. And he said, you're going to honor this day from here on out. So this Passover wasn't an afterthought. Hey, by the way, remember that event we had where you put the blood on the doorpost and everyone left? Now remember that day and we're going to honor it. Now just this month, about a week ago, Congress passed uh, Juneteenth. It's a newest holiday. It's a national holiday. No one even knows how we're going to celebrate it. We've never had it before, but it's a brand new holiday. But it was an after- afterthought because how long ago were the slaves freed? 1865 or something like that? And here it is in 2014. Go, hey, you know, we need to have a holiday. Well, this holiday was instituted before they were even freed from Egypt. And it's the year 1451 BC, and it's the longest Holiday that's been conducted every single year throughout human history. It's been in practice for 3,532 years now. And, but Christ, God didn't have the holiday just to sap for the sake of having a holiday. It's not just another day to throw some kosher uh, pork on the barbecue, but um, caught, some of you caught that. Um, but it's, but the Passover was a time where, where the Jews were in captivity. And God told them to take the, sacrifice the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, and whoever had the blood on the doorpost, the angel of death would pass over. And they were saved. Well, we, we fast forward to the time of Christ. Christ becomes our sacrificial lamb. He died on the night that the rest of the Jews were sacrificing the lamb throughout the land. He died that night. He became our sacrificed lamb. Because of his blood, the angel of death passes over us—not just et- not just physical life, but spiritual eternal life. So that's the significance of the Passover. Now I'm going to go back a little bit. Just a little trivia here. Go okay there. Now you recognize this picture? Anyone know who painted the picture? Well, some people are going to think that it was... Michelangelo. Yeah, it looks like Michelangelo. Michelangelo painted the picture in 1495. The picture is in Milan, Italy. How many of you have seen that painting? I haven't. You know what? Italy is kind of far away to go. This picture is not by Michelangelo. This picture is painted in Folsom. It is in Folsom right now. It's 10 miles away. Huge painting. Now you can't go there because it's inside Folsom Prison. It was painted by inmate Don Shirley back in 1938, and the face of the person—I'm not sure which one it is. I think the one to the right side of Jesus there is who is supposed to be Judas. That was, that was the face of the warden at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see some of the painting. Some of, the, some of it's coming apart. The brown, picture, the, brown paint, the brown paint came from the color he got from coffee grounds. He was very creative because he, he couldn't go down to Michael's to buy the paint. And so he was very creative. It's, it's a huge painting in the chapel. Now, I heard that one thing Christ might have said during the evening of the Last Supper that's not recorded in Scripture is, everybody wants to get in the picture, get on this side of the table. <laughs> but... We read further down in John 13 that they were reclining. Now, the picture at the table is a nice Western scene. Besides the fact it's very crowded, the disciples reclined. And by reclining, first off, the Passover Seder was a very long Seder. If you have a Thanksgiving dinner, how long can you sit at the table eating Thanksgiving food? After a while, you kind of get a little kind of itchy. You have to get up, you have to move around. They reclined. It was a a Greek tradition that they that came in about two three hundred years before Christ, the Romans and the Jews continued it, and actually I have a confession to make. I can do that myself. I do that myself. At home we have a table, and we have a recliner chairs. You know where we eat dinner? On the recliners. Lazy boy has continued the tradition. But the interesting thing about it is is that. We see in the story about the Last Supper is that the disciples came, and when they walked back then, they would walk with sandals, like this, um, <laughs> and their feet would get dirty. And not only did their feet get dirty, they would also. We, we we drive cars. We have usually have enclosed shoes. We have socks on. They would. Um, you know, walk and walk through dirt, walk through mud. They also walk through excrement from animals that walked all over the place, and their feet were filthy. Now, some cultures today, and I know a lot of the Asian cultures, uh, you go into their Asian home and you take your shoes off. And it's not; it's a good practice. We kind of do it at our house too. You might track all the dirt into the house. You just got to vacuum up. It wears down the carpet, so you take your shoes off. And it's a tradition today. And Back then, they really needed to wash your feet because it was dirty. And if you're lying there reclining at a table, you'd be maybe next to the feet of the person next to you. And very inconsiderate to have dirty feet. And so it was a very humble job, but they would usually have some person who was the lowliest person in the house, a, a servant, and if they had a slave, it would be the slave's job to wash people's feet. Well, Christ didn't have any slaves around, and he wasn't—he he wasn't a slave keeper. And and the when the disciples came, they just went ahead and sat down, and nobody washed anybody's feet. It's kind of rude. Now we think they really needed to wash feet back then. Maybe we don't need to today. But you know, I hate to—hey, to, got bad news for you. We need to wash our feet today. Feet may have been dirty back then, they stink today. Do I have a testimony? An amen. <laughs> I used to have a dog that loved when I took my shoes off, she'd stick her nose down inside my shoes. She loved it. That wasn't a compliment for me, <laughs> so, <laughs> a nosy one. Um, <laughs> But just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. And jumping down to verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. His hour had come. Now we see other places in the scripture, early in his ministry when Jesus was in Cana of Galilee, and there was a ministry going on there, and they're running out of wine, and his mother says, hey, Jesus, we're out of wine. He says, "My, my hour has not yet come. There's a couple times when Christ was in the temple where the Jews were trying to capture him, to arrest him, and he slipped from their sight, sight because his hour had not yet come. Christ's hour had now come. What that meant was he was going to be arrested, he was going to be tried, he's going to be crucified, he's going to be buried away, and he's going to rise again from the dead. He was in control. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power, he had the power. Now, when you arrest somebody, you take, you have, if you're the police officer, you arrest by you're in control, the arrestee is done control. They got their handcuffs, they walk around, you say, stand here, do that, they stand here, do that, who's in control? But here, the arrestee, Jesus, is going to be the one in control. He orchestrated to make sure he was arrested that evening, and he was going to die, and he's going to raise again. That was his plan. So all things had come under his control, and his hour had now come. And we see in John 17, uh, verse 1, that his hour had come. Now, I'm talking about John 17, we're in John 13 now. I'd like to kind of do a little backtrack also, just to kind of give a difference between the book of John and the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, the Synoptic Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels are very similar to each other. They're all different, they're all unique, but they're similar. They all give a story, uh, a newspaper account, a story of what happened in the Gospels. Jesus went here, he did this, he did that. And Matthew and Luke Luke, give the baby Jesus account. Well, John doesn't start off with baby Jesus. He starts off before the creation of the world. He says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes way back to the beginning. Forget the baby Jesus part. He was existing before Jesus was born. And, and we see in John twenty one. Chapter 20, let me go to that. Chapter 20, verse, where is it at? I'm looking right at it. Then, why is it here? (laughs) But anyway, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in the book. Okay, here's what I was looking for, verse 31. this is John writing this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life in the power of his name. The book of John was written by the Apostle John, who walked with Jesus, and it was written much many, many, many years later. He was getting old. There was a lot of teaching going around that Jesus Christ was a good man. He wasn't really God. And he wrote the gospel to set the record straight to let everybody know from his first eyewitness account that Jesus is God. He came for a purpose and so this book is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord, the God. That he is God. And so we see that the hour had come for him to come to who were... Having loved his own... Okay, I see what happened. I, I switched the page. Look at the yellow highlight. This went to the next screen. It's perfect. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. How many of you ever feel like God doesn't love you? You feel like, where are you, God? I said, here he loved them to the end. What could they do to buy more of God's love? Nothing. Nothing. To earn God's love. What could they do to lose God's love? You can't. By God's love, He loves you. You can't lose God's love because He loves you. It's not our choice, which is a good thing, because if it was was my choice, my actions, my life, my my everything I do, God would say, "Forget Him." Because love goes beyond condition. Love is love. For those of you who are parents, you love your kid, but why? Because you're the kid. If If you have two kids and one mows the yard, has straight A's at school, keeps his room clean, the other kid, total slob, doesn't even say hi to you, doesn't do anything, do you love him less? No, you're more frustrated with him, but you love them both. You love because they are your kids. We are created in the image of God. He loves us. And so he loved his own there to the end. The evening meal was in progress. Now, it's interesting, going back about the book of John, the other books of the Bible that talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, the synoptics they each give about a half a chapter about the Passover. And they talk about some things the disciples talked about, who was going to betray Jesus. Spoiler alert, it was Judas. It wasn't you know, Peter was thinking it might have been him. Uh, they all thought is it me, is it me, no, it's Judas. But and and so they're having this discussion among themselves in Luke chapter 22 We read about where the disciples are arguing about over who's gonna be the greatest, I mean, they're not washing each other's feet, but they're arguing over who's gonna be the greatest. And but in John, it doesn't really talk about the meal. Here's all it talks about the meal. The meal was in progress. They weren't talking about breaking the bread and the cup and, and the wine and all that stuff. The meal was in progress. But they focused on the foot washing. And, and so, we, but also, well, the other books have about half a chapter to the Passover, there we see five chapters in John, one-fourth of the book of John. Chapters 1 through 12, is rapid pace. Boom, 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 boom. Jesus doing miracles. Jesus teaching. Jesus having conversations with the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus doing miracles. Jesus teaching. Jesus having conversations with the Pharisees. And then it comes to a quick stop. Not stop, it slows down. And now we're getting very detailed conversation. Five chapters. It was Christ. Farewell discourse. And we see in chapter 17, he prays, a whole chapter where he prays. And so um, he got off from his meal, he took off his outer clothing, and wrapped the towel around his waist. Now just remember, it's during the meal, the disciples are arguing over who's going to be greatest, who's going to be the greatest among them. And so while they're arguing who's going to be the greatest, um, Governor Newsom gets up, he kneels down, and wash their feet. (laughs) How many of you expect the governor to come in here and wash your feet? No way. How many of you want that? Don't don't answer that. Um, That was the job of a slave. And the disciples were so looking forward to Christ being the earthly Messiah. Here's here's another spoiler alert. Acts 1.6. This is after Christ is crucified, he's resurrected, he's back with his disciples, they see the resurrected, resurrected Christ, and they're saying, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, not just asked him once, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They're still stuck on an earthly Messiah. Fast forward to 2021, Politics. We strive so hard to work in the political arena to do what we want for the Christians. Meanwhile, those who are not Christians do everything they can to, against what the Christians want. And, and we have all this political left-right stuff going on. Politics is not the answer. The change of heart. And Christ was going for the change of heart. Because if you get everybody voting your way and, and you get political unity and no one knows Jesus, we're all still going to hell. Christ came to restore us to himself. So even in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, they were all hung up on the politics. And so as he gets up from his meal, this political leader they're looking forward to, and he wraps the towel around his waist, and going down to verse 5, and that, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, it says he took off his outer clothes. Now, I just, I thought, for the, I'm preaching sure on foot washing. I went ahead and wore sandals with my bare feet showing. But uh, I'm not taking off my clothes to demonstrate to you how you wash feet. It, 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 you know, it's very humbling. It's very, very humbling. And they were wondering, what is he doing? Because if you are trying to gain political clout, you're going to take over the kingdom of Israel. You don't do that by washing feet. But Christ wasn't trying to get the kingship of Israel. He wasn't trying to take it over from from Pilate, from Herod. He was trying to become king in the hearts of people. So so he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now, the Church of God Reformation Movement, which this church is a part of, historically has had foot washing. It's one of three ordinances. And I grew up in a congregation that we had every Easter week, Monday, Thursday, we had foot washing services. And so I'd come to the foot washing service, looked forward to it. But you know what I did? Every time I went to a foot, foot, foot washing service, I wash my feet before I go. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a symbolic ceremony. It's a nice ceremony. And it, it did some things. to teach me some things. And one, one lesson i like to share about. In one of the foot washing services, I remember I was in college. We, we'd have women over in this room. The men would get together in that room. That way you don't have to worry about some guy getting side by the lady's feet, he's washing. It was men with men, women with women. And I looked around this, this circle and I go, and they would say, okay, you wash them, someone's feet, they wash the next person, they wash the next person. And I looked around the room and I saw this one kid and I go, I'm not going to wash his feet. Mm-hmm. Right away the Holy Spirit told me, yes, whose feet you're washing? <laughs> Turned out that I didn't have a choice. I was, last, I was next to the last one. He was the last one to have his feet washed. So I wasn't even on everyone's pick list either. But I still remember that to to this day because it humbled me. And I really appreciate the fact that God let me know I need to wash his feet. But the thing about foot washing is it's not the ceremony itself itself. We have to have a foot-washing service. Okay, we have three ordinances. We have baptism, we have communion, and we have foot-washing. It's not the ceremony itself that really matters. It's a heart of the fact. And foot-washing is more than just taking someone's shoes off and washing their feet. Foot-washing is listening to someone who's hurting. Foot-washing is going over someone's house and cleaning their bathroom. Foot-washing is helping someone who's sick. Foot-washing is just being kind to someone. Now, there was one time... A couple years ago, I worked in Sacramento, and it's not the best part of town. And during lunch, I went over to Safeway. And when I went over to Safeway, I was cross-street from a uh, marijuana place where they sell marijuana cannabis. It was right past, it was not far away from the tattoo shop. It was not far away from the vape shop. And I go over to Safeway. Safeway, there's two ladies there taking a petition. They're wanting me to sign a petition in favor of LGBTQ. Now, I'm a Christian. I'm not really in favor of the LGBTQ agenda they have going on. They're wanting me to sign a petition for some legislation. and I wasn't wasn't going to say anything, but they approached me and asked me to sign. And so, I, I didn't. I didn't agree with it, but I was polite. They said, why don't you want to sign? They're forcing me into a conversation. And so, I just kind of politely got in a conversation with them and tried to explain things. It was a warm day. I could tell the lady was thirsty. I said, I'm going over here to Safeway get something to eat. Are you thirsty? I want get you a bottle of water. Why would you do that? And when I gave them water, they really, really appreciated it. Now, I didn't sign the petition. I'm not agreeable with what they're promoting, but these are two people who were created in the image of God. And God loves them. And I don't know what's going on in their lives. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks in the heart. I don't know what know what's going on in their heart. And I walked away from there blessed. Because I felt God's love. What happened to them after that? I haven't the finest idea. That's not my job. My job was in that moment of time to go give a bottle of water to an LGBTQ person who with who, a petition who's thirsty. I felt God's pleasure. Now, in Acts, we see the story of Saul of Tarsus, who's persecuting Christians. And, and um, he goes up to uh, Damascus. And the Lord does a conversion on him. He, and God tells Ananias to go pray for him. He goes, God, do you know who this guy is? We never know who God's working on. And so we not with the person that seems most close to God may never come to know God, the person that seems the furthest from God may be the one who's fighting God, who God's going to get through and reach them. Our job is to minister. And so Christ, who was God, who is God, takes off his clothes, just down to his bear, he puts a towel around himself, kneels down, and worships the feet of the disciples. Awesome. But Peter was aghast. He goes, You're, now, you will never wash my feet. But what's really amazing is up in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And he's saying, Lord, you are not going to wash my feet. Now, wait a minute, who's Lord here? Doesn't the Lord the one give commands? It's not the first time. Earlier on, when Christ. Uh, has told his disciples that he is going to be crucified. And he said, Lord, it's never going to happen to you. Now, sometimes we may be trying to tell God what to do. And that's not our job to tell God what to do. Our job is to listen and do what he tells us to do. And he was saying, here, Peter, sit there. I'm going to wash your feet. It's very humbling if you have someone wash your feet. Now, I think, okay, a lot of churches have two ordinances. They have Communion and baptism. A lot of churches do not practice foot washing. Why? Well, it's kind of like, why would you want to do that for? But really, effective foot washing is where people ask you, why do you want to do that? I remember one time, I usually don't give money to homeless people. I may give them something to eat, buy them a hamburger, or something like that. I'm not going to give them money. And this one time, I walked past this guy. I was just going to walk past him. I got past him, and I felt like the Lord said, give him five bucks. Well, that five bucks is not my money. It's God's money. He tells me to give it to him. It belongs to God. I have no choice on it. So I go back to him and say, hi. And by the way, if you ever talk to a homeless person, always ask them their name. Because otherwise we pigeonhole them. You are an illegal. You're a homeless. You're whatever the case is. You are one of them. You say, what is your name? My name is George. My name is Ralph. My name is Sarah. You personalize him. I said five bucks. Get yourself some to eat. He goes, wow, I was really hungry. Thank you. Washing feet is not just washing feet. It's ministering to people. But he says, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. It's humbling when you have something embarrassing that someone's going to come over and help you with. And sometimes it's, we, it's hard for us to receive. And But he strikes back and says, but but," Christ says, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But he says, then Lord, Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He goes from, no, you're not going to wash my feet, to wash all of me. Give me a bath. Boy, is he quick. On one hand, we can criticize him for being flimsy. On the other hand, we can at least compliment him for listening to Jesus. He kept arguing, no, you're not, no, you're not, no, you're not. You're not going to wash my feet. He said, okay, if you want to do that, take all of it. And Christ's answer was, those who had a bath need only to wash your feet. Well, how many times is a person baptized in the church? Once. Full immersion, baptism, once. Baptism represents the fact that, you know, baptism itself is you immerse someone in water. Now, in the prison chaplain... I would never, I, there, there are times I'll let inmates run part of the service. They can lead singing, I'll let them preach. Whatever the case is, i would never let them baptize. Why? Because you could kill somebody. You put I'm going to baptize, you name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm going to make sure you're fully immersed. I'm going to hold you there, hold you there. He's gone. <laughs> I had no inmates die under my watch. But baptism represents dying to our old self. We are no—when when we come to the Lord, the old things have passed away, all things become new. And it represents cleansing because we live a filthy, dirty life full of sin. And, and I can go on the list of all the different sins that we can be in, and the Lord cleanses us of those sins, and we're clean now. The things I used to love doing, I detest. The things I used to not want to do, I just love doing now. The Lord has changed my heart and my life. And so now that I'm Christian, baptism represents the salvation. You only get saved once. And you're saved. But even as when we get clean, we take a bath to get clean, we still walk around in the world. We still walk around dirt. I still see that... Pornography. When I change the station on the on the radio on the TV, I see that picture down there, or I see something comes across that way, or I, some someone says something, and I get angry at them, and I and I want to lash out at them, and I struggle because I'm in the world, and I need to have the continual cleansing because I'm walking the world. I need the Lord to say, Lord, help me, forgive me. I'm not living a life of sin. I'm not living a life separate from God, but I still struggle with it. And so we need the constant, everyday cleansing that comes from walking in a dirty, dirty world. And so, thank you. Jesus said, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. How many times have you, has the Lord done something in your life you don't understand why? This is happening to me. And we are, why did this happen? Why, why, why am I going through this? Why did that not go right? And then later on, we go back, we look back, and say, Dad, I'm so glad I worked out that way. I'm so glad I didn't get that job. I'm so glad I broke up with that girl. I'm so glad whatever the case is. i got a beautiful wife, been married to her for over for 40 years now because I broke up with someone else. I'm so happy. Things work out good. All things work together for good for those who love God. And so we may not realize, he says, you may not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Peter was still stuck in an earthly Messiah. Christ came to be a Lord of our lives. And so Peter does not understand now what was going on, because Christ is not the earthly Messiah he's looking to be. But Jesus says, unless I worship you, you have no part with me. Those who have had a bath need only to wash your feet, the whole body is clean, and you are clean. Isn't that a sign that you're saved? God tells you you are clean. That's awesome. Though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that he was that's why he said not everyone was clean. Lord knows who's who. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks in the heart. I look around the room and I'm a, I, I can make assumptions that you, 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 you are going to heaven, and you, I don't think you're going to heaven. And I get up to heaven, and I go, what are you doing here? And where's Righteous Joe at? We don't know. God knows. Christ knows what's in our heart. But you know what's also amazing about this is that Judas was in that room, and Jesus went around, and he washed all 12 disciples' feet, including Judas. He knew Judas was going to betray him that very evening. He still washed his feet. We need to reach out to everybody, not just to those who we like, get along with. We, we reach out to everybody. So when he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to his place. He says, do you understand what I have done to you? I won't go back to Judith for a moment. I skipped something. This is very important. Um, basically, I'll go back further. I'm sorry. Basically, the passage is, I didn't find the passage, but, but Satan had placed it on Judas' heart. Who sinned? Verse 2, thank you. That eating meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon and scared, to betray Jesus. Who sinned? Satan or Judas? Both. Good answer. Obviously, Satan sinned, because that's all he ever does. It's the only thing he knows how to do. <clears throat> but Judas, he had, it was t- the temptation is put on his heart. How many of you have ever been tempted? No. We all have. <clears throat> if you are a recovering alcoholic, you've been free for, you've been clean for two years. And before you're, while you're still an alcoholic, you're, you, your family was, was ruined, you lost your job, everything bad and you've been clean for two years, and you're so happy, and you come over to my place, and I say, hey, you want to go out for a drink? Now, I just put a thought in your head, right? Are you to blame for that thought? No. Satan is giving us thoughts all the time. I have thoughts because my head I do not want to replete because they're being sent to me, not that I want them, but because they're always being presented. We live in a very sinful world. But Judas, what he did, he accepted those thoughts and he acted on them. And that is different. But, but okay, as far as temptation, who was tempted in the Gospels? Jesus. Did Jesus sin? No, Jesus did not sin. In James, read the book of James, we see warnings about temptation, but we are all tempted. But we are we fall temptation when we give in to those temptations. Judas was tempted. He fell into those temptations, but he never gave his life to God. He never it's amazing that he walked with Jesus for three years and he missed Jesus. He saw his miracles all that time. He kept missing Jesus. But is this where I left off, Ed? Do you take it back? Thank you. I go, boy, that's quick. So, G- Jesus says, "You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. For that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet." That's a command. That's what we call one, one. That's why it's one of our ordinances, because we are commanded to be baptized where God told us to participate in the communion, he's telling us to wash one another's feet. It is a commandment because when we are baptized, we are saved. Now, the water baptism is an outward baptism. If you want to come up here and get baptized, Pastor Greg baptizes you, and you're not saved, that water baptism is just going to get you wet. The real baptism comes from Jesus saving your heart. In your heart, The thief on the cross next to Jesus never got baptized. You know what? He went to heaven. Because Christ said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So the physical water baptism is an outward a sign to the world. Because who else is going to want, if they're not saved, who's going to go up there and dip down in front of everybody and get wet? Unless you're saying, Christ has made a difference in my life. Communion is acknowledging the blood and body of Jesus Christ. We're constantly reminded about the fact that Christ died on the cross for us, that we're saved. The ordinance of foot washing is the ordinance of us serving others. Christ came to serve the world and we are to mimic him. He is our example. He is our leader and we are to do what he tells us to do. And so we are to do foot washing. Maybe not necessarily foot washing. I'd love to have a foot washing service. But if we don't have a foot wash service, we're still supposed to go out there and talk to people, give a cold glass of water to someone who is thirsty, to uh, mow someone's yard who's sick, take food to someone's house who's, who, who is ill. Whatever the case is, um, just be there for people because the world has billions and billions of people who are hurting and need somebody. And you know, our pride is what gets in our way. I'm not going to talk to you. I don't like you. Or I'm better than you. Or I don't do that kind of work. I don't stoop that kind of work. I'm an important person. If everybody were to be willing to be humble and minister, we would have a lot less hunger and a lot less strife in this world. Moving on. I have set an example that you should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed when you do them. I was telling a story about giving a glass of wa- bottle of water to that person. I'm still blessed. How many of you working in Bible day camp this week? How many of you worked in the Bible day camp? How many of you feel blessed from that? Awesome. Now I um um I see a lot of people in this church who serve weekly who do a lot of ministry weekly. But you know, I'd like to mention in the, there's there's organized church ministry and there's unorganized ministry. In Romans, the last chapter of Romans, we see where Paul goes through, says greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, they've done this person, they had their church in the home, this person helped me, Uh, and we see a lot of thank you, thank you, thank you, thank yous. We don't have time for this right now, but one thing I would love to do sometime, and I've done this before in other services, is to have open the open the congregation up for conversation where people stand up and say, "I, I appreciate so and so because he or she did such and such." Because the ministry of the church is more than what you see in the bulletin. The ministry of the church is more than just Bible day camp. It's awesome that it is. The ministry of the church is more than singing up here. The ministry of the church is more than cleaning up the parking lot before people show up for church. Thank you. Um, the ministry of the church is more than getting food snacks for you out here. The ministry of the church is more than all that. It's when you get on the phone call somebody up and say, How are you? I'm praying for you. The ministry of the church goes on so much. That's a real ministry of the church is when we reach out to each other. So, the ordinance of the churches, as I mentioned, baptism, Lord's Supper, foot washing. I've already covered those. But creative foot washing listen to someone who needs to talk. And I'm going through this list right now. I've touched on all these, but I wanted you to think in your mind because I'm going to give you an assignment. Actually, I'm not giving you an assignment. The Lord gave us the assignment because he says you are to do these things. You are to do this as well. So think in your mind how you can do this. Listen to someone who needs to talk. You don't have time right now you're really, really busy and someone wants to call you up and they really need to talk. You don't have time. Give them the time. If you speak, speak to a homeless person, ask for their name. I mentioned that. Provide a meal for someone who's sick. Go the extra mile. You know, if, if they ask you to go, can you go to the store and pick up something, pick up something else for them also. Clean someone's bathroom. If someone thinks you're crazy for being kind, you're probably doing the right thing. If anyone ever asks you, why did you do that? Why, why would you do that? That means you're on the right track. And show acceptance and respect to all. Spoiler alert! Two weeks from now, John thirteen thirty-five. I'm going to close with this verse: "By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another." Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we're going to have Melissa come up and give us some announcements. Dearly Father, we want to thank you so much for the fact that you came to this world and humbled yourself to go to the cross to die to be our sacrificial lamb. We also thank you, Lord, that you're willing to soup down and wash our feet. And Lord, I pray right now that you'll help give each of us an opportunity this week to where we will, some way or another, wash the feet of those around us to show your love, your mercy, your compassion. And we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.